Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We've got a wonderful guest and future guest host here today for Spirit in Action. Jan Spencer lives in Eugene, Oregon, and he's been creating a preferred future on the ground and for the wider culture from his one-quarter-acre suburban home. Many folks may assume that you have to move out to the country to create something in tune with nature, but Jan's wonderful homestead in the city proves the contrary. In addition to the practical skills and insights he's developed, Jan Spencer has assembled a piercing analysis of what we need to do to move as a culture in a world-healing, world-compatible direction, creating better lives for all of us. Jan broadcasts his thoughts and interviews from one of America's wonderful low-power FM stations, KEPW in Eugene, Oregon, and he joins us today from his home there via Zoom. What a wonderful day to have you here, Jan. Thanks for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. And thanks for reaching out and finding me. First of all, let's talk about KEPW. Does your podcast, your idea of doing this podcast, was it already in your mind or did you originate it because of the station? I was invited. KEPW is a local low-watt radio station as part of the Pacifica network. They had been in operation for a couple of years, and they contacted me and asked me to do a show on permaculture, and that was it. That didn't specify what particular flavor of permaculture. They just said, we'd like for you to do a show. I'm not shy. My opinion is pretty well known among certain subcultures here in Eugene. So they asked me to do a show about permaculture. The topic, permaculture and creating a preferred future, is the tagline that you use for what you're doing right now. When did that come about? How long have you had that in your mind? Well, my interest in permaculture and creating a preferred future goes back, I can trace it all the way back to high school. And of course, that's evolved over the years. But since I've been living here in Eugene, I moved to Eugene about 1992, I would have to say that my interest in new issues like permaculture and urban land use, community involvement has become a little bit steeper because there's more of a culture that in that way than from where I came from in Texas. But my basic interests of, of alternatives to the mainstream, I can trace that all the way back to high school, and it's become even steeper. If one were to say, I feel more radical than ever, I could say that myself. My own assessment of the mainstream culture, the consumer culture, I'm further away from thinking that as attractive, uh, more so than ever. These ideas and when I work on my program and, of course, having the benefit of a radio program and talking with all kinds of really wonderful people who are doing great projects, I really feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity for the radio program and to have these people to talk with and then my own thinking, too. So it's a logical product of where I've, I've been headed for years, and I'm 
in the way at the final destination either. And we're going to explore pieces of that. I really want to look at your personal life. But first, I want to give folks the overview. And for my own overview, I started with a conversation of you. We just spoke by phone recently. Then you directed me to your website. And folks, that's suburbanpermaculture.org. The link's on northernspiritradio.org, folks. So nordenspiritradio.org. You'll find Jan Spencer. You'll find Link. The 30 and the 60-minute overviews are amazing encapsulation of a whole lot of knowledge and perspective and insight. One thing that I think is true of you, perhaps more so than myself, is how integrated and structured your thinking has been about that. You've identified all the pieces and you've put the puzzle together. And I really want to encourage people, spend 30 minutes, listen to that intro, get an overview, and then all of the guests he has for his podcast. I mean, if you're already there in Eugene, Oregon, KEPW is the place to go to hear him. What time are you on each week? Seven o'clock on Tuesdays in the evening. Of course, it's on the radio, but it streams also. And so people can listen to it as people do these days, whenever the podcast is convenient to listen to for them. Of course, they can do that with my Spirit in Action and my Song of the Soul programs as well. But you're there in Eugene, Oregon. Permaculture, I've heard you say, is kind of the center out of which your worldview sprang. Is that too much of a statement? Am I oversimplifying what you'd say? I say that's that's a reasonable thing to say. My interest in, in alternatives and counterculture predates my knowledge of permaculture. But permaculture certainly is an important part of how I would sort of frame and structure what my interests are and my approaches and what to do given the state of affairs of the economy and our culture and our way of life. Permaculture is a big part of it. Define for our listeners what you think permaculture is. And again, you're trying to live it out right there in Eugene, Oregon, in the city, as opposed to my plot, which happens to be out in the country. Yeah. Well, permaculture to me is a holistic system that the ideal is for taking care of human needs in ways that are friendly to people and planet. And there's lots of different principles of working with nature of slow and modest solutions, of trying to integrate pieces of a system rather than segregating. A lot of people who know something of permaculture consider it something of a way to plant a garden, and they think it's more agricultural. But the principles that can apply to a garden or a suburban property, I've done a permaculture makeover of my entire quarter-acre suburban property, But those principles of efficiency and working with nature and modesty of size, that could be applied to an economic system. That could apply to an entire culture and society. One of the most important, of course, is when we make a a smart design, we can accomplish multiple positive benefits at the same time. And that just has to be one of the most important ideals I can think of not just for permaculture, but in the the whole effort to repair our society. What can we do in a smart plan, even in our own lives or at the community level, 
that accomplishes the most good at the same time, a single set of actions that accomplish multiple positive goals at the same time. And that, to me, is a wonderful principle of permaculture. Again, people, I want to emphasize that point that you just made, Jan. A lot of people think permaculture, it's all about agriculture, but it's really principles of how we live interactively on the planet. It's really much bigger than just agriculture, though a lot of people do start with their garden. And then they find out, well, gee, it works this way in my garden. I have to have pollinators there. I have to catch water or there's sunlight. I mean, they start looking at the environment and how does the environment work together well? That's really important. And then they realize, oh, but I'm hopping in my car and driving to a job 30 miles away. Which principles of how I live am I not living up to? One of the things that I think is really interesting is you're doing this in a suburban neighborhood, right? You've got a quarter acre plot. And if people go to suburbanpermaculture.org, Jan Spencer's site, you'll find the video to see how he does what he does, all of the pieces that plug into it. And the pieces are important and the overview is important. It's not an either or. They both fit together. And for a while, you may look at one side and a while you may look at the other side. One of the things I think is real interesting about how people live and they don't realize it is how much we externalize the costs. It's a big principle in terms of economics in our country. So people don't count the costs that just land on someone else. How much garbage do you export from your plot of land per year? Probably more than I should, but you just used a word that if I were to identify, say, the 10 most important words that represent an important concept of lifestyle, of economics, about what we can do given our current situation, externalizing the cost would be pretty close to the top of the list. Just as you said, when we buy something the price we pay doesn't cover all the damage that that item, you even mentioned cars, well, cars and all the related services and products that go with cars is an enormous level of external costs. And of course, we just take it for granted. It's not an accident, no pun intended, that we have a civilization based on automobiles because cars and suburbia create a lot of economic activity. And of course, that is the goal of the economic system and the externalizing the cost. If we had an honest economy, it would look nothing like what it does and things would cost a whole lot more. When I share my thoughts on what a preferred future might look like, that's an important aspect of it. And it all comes down to the profit motive and external costs. Let somebody else pay it. Let people pay. Let public health pay. Let the environment pay. Let's sacrifice positive human potential so people can have bigger houses and bigger cars. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I find so engaging about your podcasts, about what you write, what you do, is you're looking at that big picture and you're living it out on your micro structure, your house right there, a quarter acre. You're living out what if was replicated into society 
would make a tremendous difference for the well-being of people and the world. You mentioned cars, for instance. One of the things I heard is that when you moved onto your structure, you converted your garage into a living space. So that tells me that it's very likely that you may not own a car. How do you transport around? How do you get around the world? I do have a car. It's a 91 Ford Ranger. I drive it around the block once every few weeks so it doesn't seize up. I'm still kind of attached to having the vehicle, even though I take it out of the neighborhood like maybe twice a year, something like that. I assume you use it to move things around. You got to pick up something, haul it around. Yeah, yeah, if I want to go pick up a load of something. But yeah, cars are hard to live without. Absolutely, cars are difficult to live without because our society has been designed that way. If you look at the history of suburbia, you can find a number of occasions over the past 60, 80, 100 years where government policy has been absolutely influenced in favor of automobiles at the expense of, say, rail or at the expense of making our inner cities or urban areas more attractive to live. There's been influence by business interests who have got cars to sell, got oil to sell, got suburbia to sell that have influenced government policy in favor of suburbia. This is historical. And for the transportation of our nation, Highway infrastructure has generally been a public expense, and rail, which of course is far more preferable in many different ways, has been a private expense. So there's been a bias for the last hundred years in favor of automobiles, and we are living with the results of that right now, absolutely. And it's to say it's a tragedy is a, is a big understatement. One of the points you make is that often these things are sold to us as increasing efficiency, whereas in fact, they frequently decrease efficiency very significantly. I think of the bus system, the city bus system that existed in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where I went to school at Carroll College. In 1954, the year I was born, there were 16 bus routes around Waukesha, the population a lot smaller than when I went to college there, but there were 16 bus routes. And when I was there and during college, they called it two bus routes, although really it was just one long figure eight kind of thing. So they decreased the number of bus routes, which means all of those people had to have other transportation, which meant usually buying cars. So which more efficient, having 16 bus routes or having many thousands of cars? Efficiency is a big question, isn't it? Oh, efficiency is an enormous issue. Efficiency is one of the ideals of permaculture as well, to get the most out of what your actions are. And when you think about the mythologies of capitalism, there's quite a few. There's the magic hand, there's a informed purchase, there's uh, the magic of the market. One of the ideals of capitalism is claimed to be efficient. Let the market decide. Let's uh, make the most efficient system to allocate resources. You would be challenged to find a less efficient mode of transportation than an automobile. And then there's all the super expensive infrastructure that it requires as well. The interstate highways 
when Dwight Eisenhower came up with the idea because he saw Germans autobahns during World War II and he thought, wow, this is pretty good. And of course, he's a military man and he's thinking that with this national network of super highways, we can move military gear around in, in case we become invaded somehow. Well, you know, those are some okay thoughts. When he appointed a blue ribbon commission to study the thought of an interstate highway system, these divided highways, which we all know today, he appointed the chair of that commission to study, is this a good idea? Is it not a good idea? The chair of that commission was a board member of General Motors. <laughs> what do you think that, the, that they come up with in terms of a recommendation to the president, of course, and of course, the interstate highway system is just ubiquitous. And that's another example of a public expense that people pay whether they use it or not. But of course, it's been put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, for automobiles in our country. And, and it's been essential for suburbia. It's a huge part of the nation's economy. Cars and all the related stuff that goes with cars employs tens of millions of people. There's no question that it's a absolutely essential part of the nation's economy. And we're in big trouble because of that. Of course, cars, a big part of CO2 and climate change and 40,000 people killed by cars and hundreds of billions of property damage, all those external costs is a, a product of our reliance on automobiles. And the economy likes every bit of it because it creates economic opportunity. And that's uh, an enormous challenge we have. How can we move away from the, this condition that has basically been imposed on us by business interests? Folks, as we talk to Jan Spencer today for Spirit in Action, we're going to bounce regularly between overview topics of how to create a preferred future, and we're going to look at the how-to, the nuts and bolts. So we'll just bounce back and forth, and some of you may find that jarring, or maybe some of you will find that exactly engaging, what you want to know. So just keep that in mind. I'm very aware that we're doing it, and I, in fact, love it. So some of the things that I would like to talk about are values of our society. Your tagline, again, creating a preferred future. How do you figure out what's preferred? Certainly to General Motors, the automobile was preferred. Why is that not preferred from your point of view? Good question. And I would also add many other people have had thoughts and written and expressed themselves on these exact issues as well. One could do a lot of research online and, and find out all kinds of points of view. Well, what's a preferred future is certainly subjective. My preferred future is not the choice of a lot of people. Absolutely. But my measurement of what makes sense, I'm a very rational person. And when I see the results of an economic system that can't survive without growing, and it can't survive without damaging public health and the natural world, I have to think, what can be an alternative to this? There's also an element of what are humans capable of? What is a society capable of in terms of uplift and manifesting its positive potentials? 
and opportunities. And when I consider what could be the way we live and the way we interact with each other and the way we interact with the natural world, and I see what the reality is on the ground, I just have to shudder. And just how can we move in a way that brings out the best in people? Another primary ideal is that humans just have to live within the boundaries of the natural world. The planet has to be able to sustain human activity. And of course, climate change and and, and many other examples are, are clearly that our society is way out on a limb because of the needs of capitalism. And it's a global phenomena as well. It has a logic to it that is exported in most other parts of the world. People want to live like Americans. People want to move to the United States. There is more economic opportunity. Absolutely, there is. But the planet can't survive all the the pollution. And when, for me, the social and spiritual aspects are just as important, I just feel like that the consumer culture and the social engineering interferes with people manifesting the good that they have, that everybody has. And we're missing out on enormous opportunities from everybody. And it doesn't mean that every person has to be a hero and a source of inspiration for everybody else. Just if we do good in our own lives, in our own communities, I think that our society would be far healthier. It would be very different. That's part of my vision of a preferred future, where uplift of the spirit is a primary ingredient in that, and living within the boundaries of the natural world. You've used the word spirit several times while you're just talking, Jan, and you also described yourself as a very logical person, and some people see those two as opposed to one another. I'm going to be on a panel that will be hosted at a local Unitarian Universalist church just a couple weeks, and the topic is science and religion. And I don't see them as opposed. I do see them integrated, and I understand how you can integrate it into your life. But could you explain why they are integrated, why spirit and the technological know-how of how to do things, the nitty-gritty facts on the ground, why those are not oppositional in your view? Well, I think it's important for our society to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of technology? What is the purpose of science? Is it to be a tool of the economic system that has a need to grow at any cost and externalize its costs? Or should science and technology be in the service of helping to take care of human needs in a way that is responsible, is responsible to the environment? It's a responsibility for the social aspects, the human potential aspects of our society. I think science and technology ought to support the good potentials our society has from the individual to the larger complex of people and our economic system. But what we have is technology has become a master. It's an enormous moneymaker. Innovation, with its primary motivation being making money, is an enormous hazard. uh, And we're experiencing what the results are of science and technology in the service of the economy rather than in the service of making life comfortable and secure 
and healthy for people so they can manifest what their spirit is sort of telling them. And that could be anywhere from being a public school teacher to learning to play the saxophone. Manifesting our positive potentials doesn't have to be a Martin Luther King or a Mother Teresa. But science and technology should support human evolution rather than actually dumbing it down, which is what we have right now with the entertainment and the fascination. Of course, humans definitely have a predisposition to gadgets and are very creative. Absolutely. What's the goal of our creativity? We don't ask ourselves that question Certain political persons in the recent past have been quoted as saying, the American way of life is non-negotiable. That's <laughs> oh, so pathetic of a statement, isn't it? <laughs> and more than one. And that is so unbelievably arrogant. But what that means is, and that's the way the system behaves, there's no other alternative to overconsumption and destruction of the environment and destruction of human potential. And that's what some people believe. There's no alternative to capitalism as we know it. And that's one of my motivations, because the fact is, there are people all over the world already living a preferred future to a large degree. I am myself to a large degree where I live and, and kind of my own lifestyle. I'm fortunate, but I've made choices to make this kind of a, of a focus of my life a reality. And I know a lot of other people who are doing the same thing. The preferred future is not some ecotopia that, well, let's hope we can be there someday. It's a reality that people can choose in their own lives to a significant degree. We still have to interact with the realities of the world today. I came upon this very interesting thought a few days ago, and it goes something like this, that when I was younger in the 60s and 70s, of course, we know there was a counterculture, and that was great for a while, but Haight-Ashbury kind of came undone in the 70s, and that led to the back-to-the-land movement, where a lot of people said, we've had it with trying to live with the establishment, we're going out to the country, and we're going to grow vegetables and be off the grid. And I did a little bit of that myself. But what's called for at this point in history is for this preferred future, it's the exact opposite. A preferred future calls for people to be fully engaged in their communities, volunteer for a good cause, become active with one's neighborhood association. Every city and town has needs. Uh, one of my favorite is the Onondaga Earth Corps in Syracuse, New York. This is teaching young people to be citizens, good environmental and social citizens of the community. That's just one example of many uh, here and there, all over the country, bits and pieces of the preferred future are already happening, and they point the way towards a society and a world where uh, we can bring out the best and positive human potential. That's what motivates me, are so many good stories of people either on their own or groups of people who are doing the work and showing what a preferred future already looks like.
And that inspirational voice, folks, is that of Jan Spencer. He does a podcast. He does a broadcast via KEPW in Eugene, Oregon. And creating a preferred future is what he is all about. We'll have links to his website, suburbanpermaculture.org. And we've got more links to various aspects of Jan's work on northernspiritradio.org. Come by NorthernSpiritRadio.org to find those links and also the links to all of the guests I've had for the past 17 and a half years. I've been doing both Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul. It is about building connection, and so you can help that out by just following those links. There's a lot of nuts and bolts and philosophical overview points that you'll find from Jan and my other guests over these years if you come by on my site. Also on my site, we encourage you to post feedback via, just put comments on these programs. When you listen to it, you like it, you didn't like it, you've got an idea of another guest that we should have. All of that you can do via NordenSpiritRadio.org and you can support us as well. We do these syndicated programs that are going out to some 35 to 45 stations nationwide. So we're trying to reach out and knit the community together and you help us whenever you donate to us even more so. I would urge you to support KEPW and the other community radio stations who are situated growing in the indigenous soil of each of our cities and towns. Support them and you can help support a healthy infrastructure for our country. So please start out by doing that. If you can help Northern Spirit Radio, we very much appreciate it. Again, Jan Spencer's person we're talking to, we're dealing with some of the nuts and bolts, and we're dealing with overviews. Here's an overview that I'd like you to address, Jan, if you would. A really crucial part of measuring our impacts is defining who we is. Back uh, over 10 years ago, I saw a study, they were measuring a number of attributes related to being conservative or liberal. And the people who were doing this study were both conservative and liberal from their own point of views. But what I found especially interesting was you have to define who we is in order to do that, because they said the liberals have the bigger definition of we. Often a conservative can say, well, all that matters is people with white skin who are Lutheran. That's we. And when you expand beyond just one part of humanity, one country, one species on the planet, then your definition of we is different. And so therefore how you measure your impacts and what you're externalizing differs. So how do you measure we? Does it include mosquitoes is what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, it has to include the natural world. Absolutely. Uh, I think animals sort of have their place as well. Humans need to make more room for the natural world. But we is, in a social sense, it's humans. I mentioned several times we need to fit within the boundaries of the natural world. We're dependent on the natural world. Many people have written volumes about that fact. Humans don't exist without clean air, clean water. Uh, we need to grow food. Humans are going to have something of an impact on the natural world. Absolutely. But that impact needs to fit within what the natural world can provide. I think I would point out also, in, in terms of liberals and conservatives, that given our political situation we have, an economic system 
a government that's dominated by Republicans and Democrats when I consider the variety of choices we can make in terms of policy, what we do with the tax money, that latitude of choices is extremely limited by the Democrats and the Republicans. They both serve the same economic system. Is there a little bit of a difference? Of course there is. I'm, of course, slightly more appreciative of the Democrats but we live in an economic system that there's two heavy hitters. Anybody can run for president. Anybody can form their own political party. And people do that, bless their hearts. But it's dominated by two political parties that serve the same economic system. They don't question capitalism. So when I think of who are we, that answer has to include we are something like 330 million people in the United States, and we all have a vested interest. We all want to have a healthy, secure lifestyle, but the leaders who are making the decisions are more oriented towards a growth economy, and the discussion of alternatives is very, very limited. And I think it's up to people who care about what the future is, who value their own selves, who value their families and their friends and where they live. People have to take the initiative to make a preferred future more of a reality. We need to be considerate of other people as well. But certainly there are so many distractions that we live within uh, that it's difficult to make time to be engaged in the community process to help be a part of making that preferred future happen. Like I mentioned, a preferred future isn't back to the land. It's back to where we live in our own communities. And a vital element, a vital ingredient of that is that if there are some people who are unfortunate for whatever reason, there has to be some way to be assistance to everybody. So we, I consider we to be all of us and how to bring 330 million people into agreement. Of course, that's uh, pretty difficult, but the ideal of a preferred future is to show people in a public way by our own lifestyles by where we live, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, that there's smarter choices to be made than the ones that are offered usually at cost from the consumer culture. Some of my question about the who is we, I do have a sense of strong connection to, we call it nature. We're part of nature, of course. But, you know, there are aspects of nature that do not look nice to us. And that could be mosquitoes, as I mentioned, living in Wisconsin, as I do, where it's the state bird. We have uh, some antipathy towards mosquitoes, and if we kill them all off, it might feel good. But we don't often consider that A causes B causes C, and that we're actually living in a holistic society where feedback will come back to bite us in the butt. I just recently interviewed someone who has a book about poison ivy and how wonderful it is. And most of us think poison ivy, yeah, eradicate it. But in fact, 
a lot of songbirds live on the berries of poison ivy. So the we question is very important. I, it was decades ago, I remember, that the Environmental Protection Agency did one of its environmental impact statements, and they concluded that a certain project should not go forward because there was a species of fish called the snail darter, yeah. right? And so we got to stop this because of the snail darter. And a lot of people say, we does not include snail darters. So do you have some sense, even living in a suburban area, of we being larger than people? And which we's have you learned to add on as you've grown in sensitivity to environment, to the ecology, to nature? Yeah, well, I think one of our largest challenges as a society is the distractions that are available, and they are some heavy-duty distractions of, of football, computer games. There's lots out there people can choose from to be distracted from basically being tough to say, being responsible citizens. It's easier to be entertained than it is to be a part of addressing the issues and the challenges that we all face. We're all here on the receiving end of climate change. We're all here on the receiving end of capitalism. Some people might think they benefit by being wealthy. There's something to be said for that. I'd rather have a home than not have a home. I do have a home. I own my place. I appreciate that. It's not a level playing field either. Some people have good luck. Some people make good decisions. Some people have bad luck. And some people make bad decisions. But there's a responsibility for the society to be there, to somehow be an assistance to help people address their issues so they have a healthy life. And ideally, it's a life that they have enough security and wellness that they can contribute to the larger society. But nature it makes me think that here in my neighborhood, in Eugene, the Willamette River forms the eastern boundary of my neighborhood for about three miles. That's the Willamette River. That's the, the biggest river in Oregon that's entirely in the state. Uh, and this is about a quarter mile from where I live. Along the river is a greenway. It's public property along the river on both sides of the river. And there's a bikeway. That's how I go into town because my primary transportation is a bicycle. Uh, Eugene is a little bit better than average within the context of this country for being a bike town. I, I can bike into town in 15 minutes. I can bike over to the University of Oregon in 25 minutes without any cars. So I really value that. But the Greenway is severely impacted. There's lots of exotic species, of primarily uh, English ivy, which doesn't belong there. But the reason I bring up the topic of the Greenway is we have a semi-natural place in our neighborhood that a lot of people go to. There's people out walking their dogs. There's people having picnics. You can swim in the river when the water's warm in the summer. People biking. So this is a park that attracts a lot of people because they value a natural more or less experience. But one of the ideals that I have and others have here in my neighborhood is to get people engaged and actively involved in helping to restore the Greenway. 
in terms of going in there on our own hands and pulling the ivy out. Uh, this is a big project, but replanting with native species to enhance the habitat. Uh, there's already a lot of critters that live there uh, along the river. We have osprey, and they're beautiful to watch. Uh, with a bald eagle, there's beaver, there's lots of different kinds of small like turtles, but it's not the kind of a habitat that existed before the Europeans showed up. So what this location here in my neighborhood and almost any other neighborhood has got something that is their version of our greenway that could attract people to come together in a community coordinated service to both the community and the environment at the same time to help restore and make that habitat a healthier habitat. And that's already going on in different places in our greenway. We have uh, arrangements with the city and the city is very supportive of these ideas. I have a written agreement with the city of Eugene for looking after a small part of the greenway to have work parties, to make that part of the Greenway more healthy for people and the environment. I have another friend who's been working for 25 years on this area that uh, is about five acres, and she's had work parties with the city. The city is very cooperative and assists organizing work parties and providing tools where we'd have 25, 30 people and we're removing the invasives and planting with native plants. I've seen what these places that Becky and others have been working on, uh, what they look like three or four or five years after the work party, and it's beginning to look more like a native prairie in that location. And that's good for habitat. That's good for the animals and the plants that live there. Almost any town has something that can bring people together in a cooperative way with a healthy vision, and people can be engaged with work parties. One of my favorite things is work parties, where you meet people, you have exercise, you're doing something positive. That's community building that is a we, because everybody benefits by a healthy environment. I'm fortunate that I have the opportunity. I make the time to do these kinds of involvements. And not everybody has the same life situation. But what we do with our own time and with our own money is a huge issue for helping to bring about a preferred future. Our guest today for Spirit in Action is Jan Spencer. Creating a preferred future it's essential concept to the work that he does. His website is suburbanpermaculture.org. The link's on nordenspiritradio.org. I don't know if this is pushback I want to give to you, but it's certainly broadening of vision. You talked about the greenway and, you know, you remove the invasives and you do all this work to restore indigenous type prairie, etc. Right, Jan? You're talking about the beauty of that. Since we were talking about the the topic of the concept of who is we, I was just aware that from the invasives point of view, that's the same kind of talk that a number of people do in terms of, you know, well, we're good, but we don't want these illegal immigrants coming in because they're not we, they're invasives. 
so I really find, and, and I really do think that you wrestle perfectly with these issues of we and what we include and how we measure impacts. But I'm just aware that even by defining something as an invasive, that is a way of othering and not including them in the we. We don't need to spend endless time on that because we won't finish today. And folks, we could spend many, many weeks just talking to Jan about the how-to of his living situation. And I encourage you on suburbanpermaculture.org to look at the video around his property and learn some of the ins and outs. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Jan, is I know that simplicity, or at least that's the Quaker term we use for it, you live at an appropriate level for your situation. You do without so that you can have the important things that you do want to have, right? Can you talk a little bit about how you live out simplicity on your quarter acre plot? How do you live appropriately for the situation you're in? And how does that differ from other suburban living? Yeah, well, I would start off by saying I don't live a life of deprivation. (laughs) Not at all. But I have to ask myself, what fits with my vision of how I, I think uh, a preferred future looks like? Am I completely there? Uh, I wouldn't really say that completely, but it's a, a thoughtful process and it's an evolving process too. Uh, I don't think there's any situation where it's like, ah, I've finally arrived. I'm here. I can sit down now. I don't, I don't think that happens because there's a need to be a part of a larger effort. Yes, on my quarter-acre suburban property, when I bought this place 20 years ago, the intention from the start was to do a permaculture makeover, and that is to apply the ideals of permaculture to an existing suburban property. My favorite in terms of moving towards a preferred future is to take existing stuff to transform and repair what's already here. That's my ideal. I have a big interest in urban land use. So I bought this property. And as you say, the 30-minute video tour and interview of my property is is pretty impressive. You have to say pretty impressive in terms of taking care of more basic needs here on site. That's food, water, energy, and also creativity and also aesthetics. Aesthetics is a huge issue to me. What does a place look like? Not only where an individual lives, but what do our cities look like? I have no mystery why we have so many problems as a society. Of course, it's complex. But one of the problems is the automobile-dominated urban landscape with all the parking lots and the flashing signs just can't help but be dispiriting to the soul to see that. But here on my one quarter acre suburban property here in Eugene, I have been able to do what I want. The city has not made any issues. There's no homeowners association. My neighborhood is a completely middle class suburban neighborhood and I have good neighbors. There are a small but appreciable number of other people nearby, as in within a five-minute bike ride, who are doing their version of this. But I feel extremely fortunate that I have had the opportunity on white, male, middle class, have something of a an education, 
have access to a modest amount of money. But a term that I'm very fond of is how do we prioritize our own time and money? And this is what I've chosen to do with my time and money is to create an example of what suburbia could look like if people want to take the time and effort to do this on their own properties. And I'd also add that I have a rainwater catchment system, six and a half thousand gallons. It's dry here in the summertime. We have a Mediterranean climate. We're in an earthquake zone. I have rainwater catchment. The patio that was on the south side of the house has been closed in. It's a passive solar space that helps heat my house on sunny, cool days. It's also where I put my plants in the wintertime because we do have freeze here now and then. Uh, You mentioned that I turned the garage, the one-car garage, into a living space, makes my house a three-bedroom house instead of a two-bedroom house. That investment paid for itself long ago because As I mentioned earlier, I rent three rooms in my house. Another action that I took early on is I took out my driveway. Automobiles take up an enormous amount of space in our our urban locations, in our lives. What is it? Something like there's uh, seven, eight, nine parking spaces in this country for every one car. Uh, It's just an example of how automobiles dominate. I turned my driveway into a food production place where when I first moved in, I could park my truck. I have a English walnut tree exactly where I had had a truck parked and the tree's big enough. You can climb 20 feet up off the ground and it produces walnuts as well. Uh, The front yard is food production. I have apple trees, pear trees, peach trees, uh, figs. Figs do very well. I have a small growing olive tree. I have a lemon tree that I have to cover now and then because it's too cold on some nights for a lemon tree. Grapes, kiwi fruit, edible landscaping is just, I live in a place that's performance art. I've caused myself to be able to appreciate things that definitely take effort to make them happen and to take care of them. Uh, But I choose to uh, prioritize my time and money towards having a beautiful place to live that helps me reduce my ecological footprint. It uplifts my spirit. Thousands of people have visited here over the years to see what a suburban property can look like. My place is a landmark of permaculture here in the Pacific Northwest. So these are all, we talked, the multiple benefits of permaculture design, accomplishing numerous types of of positive benefits from a given action. I love to live here, and uh, it's not to say that everybody has an opportunity to do what I'm doing, but given the state of uh, the environment and climate change, economic disequity, Practically everybody has options available to them for helping to create a preferred future. It's largely a matter of identifying what those opportunities are, who can you work with, allies and assets, and people deserve better than what a lot of people experience, even wealthy people. 
there's so much unlimited enjoyment of being engaged with the community and helping other people and looking after one's own self as well. So I just feel very lucky. I've had this opportunity on my own property. And and another aspect of it is when I consider all the projects I've done uh, to make this place what it is, I've gone to the store. I bought a lot of stuff, like a metal roof for my house. I built this structure that I'm in here right now. There's a heat pump. There's solar hot water heater. There's design for the place. I had to buy plants. I did most of the work myself, but I did pay people to help me do things I didn't know how to do. But transforming suburbia in this kind of a way could create millions of jobs, millions of good jobs, from landscape designers to architects to the manufacturing of the the heat pump and all these types of of peripheral products that, that go into a healthy lifestyle could be a big part of, of a preferred future economy, a repair economy to repair what we've done, you know, with the abundance that we've had on this continent and we've lived with for so many years. There's a lot to repair and that could create a lot of jobs as well. And it could create a lot of uplifted spirit. And that's my experience. I don't talk about this in a theoretical way. It's a reality for me. And I could go on and describe what other people are doing. They have their own version of what I'm doing. And that's what excites me is people here and there all over in Eugene, Portland, Cincinnati, Houston, already working on these kinds of ideals for a preferred future. And we're going to learn much more about that from Jan Spencer because I've invited him to periodically share his thoughts, his interviews, his programs. Again, he broadcasts from Eugene, Oregon on KEPW, but you can go via his website, suburbanpermaculture.org. You can watch a video of his property. You can hear his interviews with many people. And I particularly suggest that you listen to his 30 or 60 minutes overview of his work. It's really inspirational and wonderful, and I'm so very happy you were able to join me here today for Spirit in Action. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Mark. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and thank you for your work as well. You fit in. suburbanpermaculture.org is his website. If we had the time today, I would ask him, why shouldn't we all just become Amish? I would ask him, are you going to work on a TV show to replace the pablum that's out there? One called Permaculture Makeover instead of, you know, Celebrity Makeover or whatever they do these days. I would ask him about cities and about population issues and spiritual resources, but you'll get all of that when he's on future times when he guest hosts spirit in action thanks so much for joining us today folks and we'll see you next week for spirit in action the theme music for this program is turning of the world performed by sarah thompson check out all things spirit in action on northern spirit radio.org guests links stations and a place for your feedback suggestions and support Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel
口，阿妈儿。